Good morning, Gold Avenue Church family and friends. This is Pastor Gina, and we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. So as you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 4, um, I'm going to read Gospel Tool Unit number 19. Jesus calls us to follow. And so as we continue in our Go and Make Disciples This is the um, thought unit that we're unpacking in Scripture today, and then you'll be studying more in your Bible study throughout the week. As the only true way to know and relate to God, Jesus calls all people to follow and therefore to reshape their entire lives around him. He redeems and restores each man, woman, and child who learns to love and obey him more than they love their own life. This requires humility and repentance. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the only way to the Father and to eternal life. We pray this morning that you would grow us in humility and repentance, that we would turn wholeheartedly to you as we hear your call. Lord, um, help us to follow you faithfully. I pray that you would open your word and teach us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so now from your Bibles, Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is God's word to us today. I read an article this week. Um, It was a Harvard Business School professor's simple trick to stop wasting your life. The headline caught me and the subline was a simple trick to rid yourself of time wasting bad habits. And the article began by saying the only way to waste your life is to spend it doing things you don't value. So that raised the question for me right away, well, what do I value? And um, how does my time get spent? Does it get spent on what really matters? And I want to admit um, that sometimes I'm guilty of wasting precious time. I took Facebook off of my phone in the last month because I recognized it just was not a good use of my time. Without meaning to, I could spend minutes and suddenly quarter hours and suddenly an hour in the evening just scrolling through the feed. Well, the article went on to say, remind yourself life is precious and fleeting. How you spend your hours is how you spend your life. Make sure you're using them for activities that genuinely bring you joy, not legendarily bad 80s movies or just a few more minutes on Instagram. Well, um, this past week, 
Our neighbor had an unexpected accident, and he got thrown off of his ATV and shattered his um, clavicle, his collarbone, and one of the fragments came dangerously close to his neck. And many of you are aware, or just reading this morning in the at-home liturgy, that the Wester family lost a dear brother-in-law this week. And so all of this has had me thinking about living a life that matters and how unexpectedly short life can be. And so how are we spending our time? And are we making the most of every opportunity? Because how we spend our hours is how we spend our lives. How the fishermen were spending their lives 2,000 years ago is described to us in this text. Their identity, they were fishermen. They were spending their hours in hard work and manual labor. So don't get the picture that they were trolling in their nice fishing boat with a depth finder showing them where the schools of fish were or that they were sitting on a grassy bank with a line in the um, water and occasionally looking up to see if they had any nibbles on it. No, these were hardworking um, men who were throwing circular nets with weights on them over and over again, out throwing the nets, pulling them in, seeing if they caught any fish. They worked odd hours. Um, they worked long nights, long days. They had a community uh, around them. They were little small family-run business co-ops, these fishing operations were. And fishing was an important part of their economy. Um, they would catch tilapia and carp and sardines and sell the fish to eat, or they would bottle sauce, a fish sauce that was um, used along the trade routes. So <clears throat> what is to show, what is the legacy of these fishermen from 2,000 years ago? What's left of this? operation. Well, in 1986, there was a boat that was found from the time of Jesus, and it showed how we got more understanding of their fishing. It was made of cedar and oak. It was 26 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet deep. It would hold one ton with five crew in the catch. So at least one boat, maybe a few others exist from that time. But the businesses are gone. The fish are dead. The money that they made is gone. Their houses are gone. The nets that they painstakingly washed and repaired each day, preparing to go out for the next catch the next night, those nets have all disintegrated. The people are gone. Many of them just merely existed. But for some of those fishermen, they realized that there had to be something more. And they had been waiting and watching For the Messiah, God's kingdom will last long after any single lifetime. Well, that raises the question of how similar or different are we from those who have gone before us, from those fishermen? Are our lives oriented around mere existence or are our lives oriented around God and his kingdom? In many cultures and throughout history, most civilizations actually have strictly been focused on trying to exist. Um, here in North America, we've had the luxury of having many of our daily essential needs met, and so we've kind of raised up this idol of pursuing whatever brings us joy. But 
we are spiritual people as well. And so what is it that defines us? What is our identity? Is it our job? Is it our hobbies? Is it our faith? And where do we find our sense of community? Those fishermen found their sense of community around their little fishing co-ops. And then how is it that we are provided for? Are we receiving disability checks? Are we getting a paycheck? Are we getting unemployment? How are we being provided for? And what's our legacy? How am I spending the hours of my life? And how are you spending the hours of your life? Are we wasting it? Or is there any lasting value to what we're doing? And so when you take an honest assessment, what are you spending your life on? Are you putting your time and energy on things that matter? Maybe your focus is on mountain biking or frisbee golf. Or maybe you're a foodie and you like to stroll through and look at all kinds of recipes and try those out. Or maybe you're just busy trying to get by and making your payments and punching the clock. Or maybe your goal is organizing your house or having a nicely swept porch. And don't get me wrong, God wants us to enjoy his creation and do good work. But what is the primary focus of our lives? Where does our time go? Does it go to Netflix or Instagram or Pinterest or striving for grades or striving for beauty or striving for the next relationship? Just as those fishermen long ago knew that there was something more and they were watching, I wonder how many of us know that there's something more and we've been watching for Jesus' return. I tell you, friends, the soberness of this past week and thinking about how quickly life can change has left me thinking. When I'm gone, what will the fruit of my life be? Will it be just a bunch of books and papers for my kids to sort through? In a hundred years, my house won't be around. My flower garden certainly will be overgrown or gone. My car won't be around. And so what will last? Who have I brought to Christ? Who have I helped to disciple? Who have I loved well? And did I convey the important things of making things clear? <laughs> this is, it, it concerns me greatly. Did I leave the legacy of making things clear? That there's a clear call to follow Jesus. There's a clear call to rely on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. There's a clear call for the church to grow up and multiply. I hope so, and I think about how easy it is to sit and scroll and spend time on the Internet or just waste time going about my day-to-day, and suddenly I just found myself like wanting to shout to myself and to each one of us today, let's quit wasting time on things that don't matter. Friends, as Christians, we are made for so much more. We're made for kingdom purposes and our lives get reshaped as they're oriented around Christ. And it starts with his call, just as he called those early disciples. It was a clear call. There was no wishy-washy, if you think you'd like to, maybe you'd like to follow me. Maybe if you want to think about it and give me a call if you're interested kind of thing. No, Jesus was very clear, come follow me. And each one of them heard the call, Simon, Andrew, James, John, 
a response was required. To ignore or procrastinate is not the same thing as accepting the invitation to follow. Jesus said, come follow me. And he called James and John and and, um, called them to follow him. And to follow him requires an intentional decision and a movement. Each person that Jesus called had a decision to make. They couldn't follow and stay doing the same old, same old. And so what would they do? Jesus' call interrupted their activity, and it interrupted their plans for the future. They were cleaning and mending their nets. They were preparing. They had their fingers enmeshed in the net that they were going to use for the next night's fishing. They had their plans made. They knew where they were going, and they knew what they were going to do. And suddenly, Jesus' call comes and says, come follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once, they left their nets and followed. James and John were in the boat with their dad. And immediately, they got out of the boat, and they left their father, and they followed Jesus. That expression, followed him, it's a picture of discipleship. And it means that we learn from Jesus that to follow him is the guiding priority of one's life. Following Jesus is the, makes Jesus the guiding priority of your life. And so what does that require? It requires surrender. They had to surrender their relationships. They had to surrender their reputations and their security. They had to surrender their schedules and their routines. They had to humble themselves and let Jesus lead. They had to surrender any sense of control And they had to trust Jesus. And until they surrendered, they were living their lives simply to exist. They were getting by. But they had this nagging feeling that they it would just haunt them, that they were made for more. Until they would surrender. The disciples did not begin to experience their God-given purpose until they started to follow Jesus, and we won't either. When they started to follow Jesus, then they start to see all that Jesus does, which is, if you remember last week's sermon, the beautiful sermon Pastor Dave preached, about when you see Jesus, you see the Father. And so they started to see the Father's compassion on the broken and on the hurting They started to see the authority of the Father as evil spirits were driven out. Storms were stilled. They saw the love of God as he started to bring shalom back and start to restore things and set things right. They saw the power and the goodness of the kingdom. And they saw it not just in Jesus, but they got to see the work of the kingdom through their very own lives. But it happened after they started following Jesus. Fishing for people. It's a kingdom purpose. We're given new identities as followers of Jesus. And we're given a new community. A huge new family with many more friends than we would ever have otherwise. And we're given a new purpose by Jesus. We're fishing for people. When he said, I'll send you out to fish for people, Jesus' point may have been 
the strenuousness of evangelism because it's like fishing. It's hard work. There's a work that's involved with it, and it requires persistence and dedication to the task. Sometimes there's minimal results, just like with fishing. Sometimes it's a good catch, and sometimes you didn't get any bites. But you go out time and time again. Why? Because you love to fish. I'm talking to those of you that I know love to fish today, and I'm saying it's that way and so much more when you start to grasp this call of fishing for people and the infinite value of the new catch when it's the the new convert, the new follower of Jesus, that value of a person whose eternity is changed around from death to life, snatching people from judgment. If you think about a a good catch, you think in fishing, you're catching fish that to kill or to, yeah, to kill and eat or whatever. When you're catching people, you're actually taking just the opposite. They were dead, and you're helping bring them into the light and into life. It's about leaving a legacy. Each one of us can thank these early disciples for saying yes, because they're who Jesus called to lay the foundation of Christianity on earth. They were living for something that would last through eternity. They were living into their kingdom purpose, and I'm sure they were saying, now I was made for this. If they thought fishing was good, fishing for people so much better. And they were living with no regrets. The only time that we see Peter weeping bitterly is the time that he didn't follow Jesus, and he disowned him three times. Otherwise, we read about him being imprisoned, and what's he doing? He's singing and praising the Lord, and when he's flogged, he's grateful to be counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Peter loved following Jesus and living for his kingdom purpose. He was a committed follower of Jesus, and Christ invites us to follow him in the same way and to find our kingdom purpose. Kyle Eidelman wrote a book a while back, Not a Fan, Becoming a completely committed follower of Jesus. I read it on a plane one time, and I think that rows ahead of me, probably the people were wondering what I was reading as I was commenting along the way. I'll share a few quotes as we reflect again on what's required when Jesus calls us to follow him. We said that a response is required, and this is what that book says. When Jesus defines what kind of relationship he wants, enthusiastic admirer is not an option. Jesus is looking for followers. When Jesus places a call on our life, it requires an intentional decision and movement. And again, this book that I read said, there's a tendency to define yourself as a follower based on how you feel about Jesus. But following requires more than feeling. Following requires movement. Jesus was looking for followers. It wouldn't have been enough for um, the disciples when he was calling them to just say, I feel good about you, Jesus. No, he said, come follow me. And they had a choice. And it wasn't to just admire him. It wasn't to just feel good about him. 
It was actually an obedience that they needed to make a decision and move to follow. And it requires surrender. And again, a quote from the book, Not a Fan. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christian, but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They may want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Again, the disciples dropped their nets. Some of them left their father and the fishing, the family business to go and follow Jesus. And so it's important for each of us to ask the question, are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? God has called the members of Gold Avenue Church to be active followers of Jesus. We are learning to make following Jesus the guiding priority of our lives. We praise God that we see many of our members of our church. They're not just fans, but you all are true followers of Jesus. We hear stories of um, people being willing to give of themselves regularly to follow Jesus, and to serve and love others. You're taking steps of faith as you sense Jesus calling you. You're offering to pray with your neighbors and coworkers, and I heard even this week of a mighty testimony that I hope that we hear in church someday about an answer to prayer. You're paying attention to the people around you, and you're watching for how God might be moving. And we're beginning to realize that there are parts of Christ's life and his character that we will never reflect if we're not involved in being sent out to fish for people and make disciples. And so I want to tell you two stories about fishing for people and following Jesus to help you imagine how God might want to work through our church to see the gospel of Jesus Christ transform our lives, our neighborhood, and the world. So story number one is introducing people to Jesus and this is going to come from John 1, 40 to 42. It's the backstory of Peter being introduced to Jesus. Do you know who introduced him? Let me read this to you. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John the Baptist had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. This is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought Simon, his brother, and introduced him to Jesus. I love it that he left and he went and found his brother. He knew his brother needed to hear and see and know Christ. He didn't wait. He didn't save it for another day or a moment when it was more convenient. The first thing Andrew did was he went to get his brother. Maybe people aren't as familiar with the disciple Andrew as they are with the famous Simon Peter, the great evangelist of Pentecost. But Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. And so when we introduce someone to Jesus, we don't know how God might use that person in the kingdom. It's really terribly exciting to think about how God might choose to work through others. We can all follow Andrew's example and be quick to go and tell others about Jesus, those that we love and care about. I remember one time my husband Dane said about a coworker, if God ever gets a hold of Jeff, he's going to be a leader in the church. 
And so Dane prayed and witnessed and prayed and witnessed. And eventually Jeff came to Christ and has been actively serving the Lord as a leader in many churches over the years. Dane was like Andrew. He was quick to introduce Jeff to Jesus. Story number two is about discipleship and teaching people to follow Jesus. And this is a true story that years ago there was a pastor from California and he visited Argentina and met a young man who needed mentoring. This young man's father had died when he was 10 years old and he left a widow and five children. This young man was working to support his mother and family and yet he heard Billy Graham and accepted Christ and he wanted to serve the Lord. Well, this pastor from California, Ray Stedman, had been down in Argentina, met this young man, and he felt prompted to invite him into a discipleship relationship. And through it, the young man learned to follow Christ. But that decision meant leaving his family, his community, his home country, and following Jesus wherever Jesus sent him. That young man went on to become a well-known evangelist. People may not remember Pastor Ray Stedman from California, but his obedience and kingdom work resulted in Luis Palau bringing the gospel to 80 nations and sharing the gospel with over a billion people in his lifetime. Now, as I think about it, I imagine that a pastor in California could have had a lot of hobbies or interests that sounded more enjoyable or relaxing than investing in a cross-cultural mentoring relationship. But someone, God put it on his heart somehow to make a disciple and to mentor this young man. And the legacy of Ray Stedman's life reaches so much further even than his own life because it carries on through the Palau Ministries. And Luis Palau himself Worked for 65 years in ministry and near the end of his life, he said, this quote, I have no regret in pouring out my years from the time I was a boy for the sake of the good news. If I was given a thousand lifetimes, I would dedicate them all to the same calling. I want to give an example from our year of discipleship that we're currently in at Gold Avenue Church. We have facilitators who, like um, this pastor from California was mentoring Luis Palau, we have facilitators that are pouring out their time to help everyone in their group live legacy lives as we learn to follow Jesus. And we're each learning so that we can turn around and help other people learn how to fish for people and make disciples just like Andrew and Peter and James and John were trained to do. And so we are being trained just like the early disciples and just like Ray Stedman discipled and mentored Luis Palau in the faith. Friends, this is exciting. 85% of our congregation adjusted their plans and said yes to growing as a disciple of Jesus this year. Based on our recent feedback, we see that we are, as a church, spending on average one to four hours a week in Bible study, along with whatever devotional Bible reading we're doing. 
We're growing in personal and group prayer. We have a growing desire to live with kingdom purpose. And many of us are sick of wasting our time on things that don't matter. We want to leave a legacy. And as we say yes and we drop our nets and let go of our agendas and we follow Jesus, we live the life God always intended for us, rich in purpose and closeness with God. As we say yes, his kingdom will come. And who knows but that the next world evangelist or mighty missionary or anointed pastor or teacher or prophetic worship leader or maybe a mighty denominational leader or Christian business leader or governor or maybe the next United States president or maybe the future president of Grand Valley or Calvin University, maybe any and all of these gifts may be in our midst being prepared right now or in our neighborhood waiting to be invited to come and follow Jesus. The possibilities are as endless as God is creative. How do I know? Because Jesus called Andrew and Simon and James and John, and through their lives and throughout history, people went from living empty lives that were centered on trying to exist to living Christ-oriented, purpose-filled lives full of kingdom power and advancement, and the cause of Christ has continued through 2,000-plus years. Peter and Andrew, James and John, just like us, were living with brokenness all around them. And it wasn't until they started following Jesus wholeheartedly, making him the central focus and priority of their lives, that they began to be used by God to help bring hope and healing and usher in shalom. Their yes opened the door for God to use them in mighty ways. And friends, our yes will do the same. Praise be to God. Amen.